give God some praise this morning, church. Uh, we've got one that's going to come forward for a special prayer um, before we continue with our service. But could you take just a second and turn around and greet those around you? Say good morning to everybody. Welcome them in the name of the Lord. If uh, Reed Crotz would come forward, um, this is my father-in-law, and uh, got some tough news this week. They, he's been having kidney problems for a while, and um, got some good news that his kidney function has improved. Um, but and you can remain standing if you want to. Um, but got some some bad news that they've actually found a mass around one of his kidneys, and they don't know what it is yet. Um, we're praying for a good outcome and a good result on that. But anytime you hear that phrase, we found a mass, it's, it's you know how that is. And so we want to pray over him this morning. Uh, he's been serving God. He was a Sunday school teacher for many, many years. Uh, led my wife to the Lord when she was 12 years old at home. You know, you don't have to just get saved in a church. You don't have to come forward to the front to get saved. You can get saved. Jesus can meet you anywhere. And so uh, we want to pray for him this morning. If there's anybody else who has a special need, you're welcome to come up and, uh, and let us know that. And we'll pray over you this morning as well, if you'd like for us to. But uh, do we believe that we serve a God who still heals? Amen. We still serve a healer. He loves us. He doesn't have to do it, but he loves us enough. That sometimes he just gives us a little foretaste of what eternity with him is going to be like. Eternal life where we don't have to worry about these things. And so um, we're going to pray over my father-in-law this morning and anybody else. Uh, if there's anybody else who needs a... a okay. So Jerry's going to stand in and proxy for someone. If there's anybody else, let me know right now so I can pray over you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning that you are God over every one of our situations. God, you're, good, you're God over the good days and the bad days. You're God when the doctor gives us a good report, and you're God when the doctor gives us a bad report. God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, there's nothing that means you have to love us, God, except for just who you are. Your love, and that's just what you do. You love us as your children. We've broken your heart so many times. We've defied you so many times. We've done our own thing and gone our own way so many times, and yet you still love us. And God, we can't comprehend why, but we are very, very thankful for it this morning. And Father, I am so thankful for my father-in-law. Thank you for his influence on my life. The times when... My wife and I might have uh, been questioning or wondering, and he would sit us down and talk to us. And my mother-in-law, who's now with you, um, 
God, we're so thankful for their influence and what they've done and meant, done for us and meant to us over the years, God. And right now we come on behalf of Reed. We thank you for his friend Gretna who has stood by his side for so many years now and her blessing in our lives and how much she loves us. God, we're thankful that we don't have a family that's not supportive of the ministry that we do, but they pray for us, they're part of it, and God, that's just such a blessing. And Lord, we know that he got a bad report this week, but Lord, we know that you are God over even that. And so we just pray right now, God, that when he finds out what this mass is, God, it would not be the worst news possible. But God, there would be a, a good prognosis to come out of this. And God, we, we trust and we know who you are. And if you want to just make it disappear right now, you can. You can do that. You've done it before and you will do it again. So God, we just put our trust in you. We thank you that one day we're all going to be healed. In fact, we've already been healed through the blood of Jesus Christ. But one day we're going to see that come to full fruition. And so God, we look so forward to that day. But this morning, God, we anoint in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God, we are trusting you to do your work in this body, in this situation. God, come right now and show yourself mighty that we might be able to give you praise for what you have done. And that Reed might be able to continue serving you, loving his family, God, blessing his community. God, we just pray you would touch him right now from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. God, raise him up. And restore him. We're thankful for his life, and we are so thankful for what you're doing in it and through it. And God, we're thankful for people who love others enough that they will come and they will stand in in proxy for someone who can't be here right now, but they're praying for them and interceding for them. And God, that's a model of Jesus Christ because we know that Jesus stands before your throne and intercedes for us. Always, he lives forever to make intercession for us. And so, God, this morning as we intercede on behalf of this need, God, we don't know the need, but you do. And we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that you would raise up, you would restore, you would go and you would meet every bit of that need, God, that the end would be better than the beginning. And, God, we're thankful that you can do that for us and you love us enough that you will do those things for us. God, we don't presume upon you. We don't presume to tell you your business or how you have to heal or what it has to look like, God. But we are so thankful that we can come and we can trust you. As the song says, you are a good, good father. If we ask for you to provide a fish for us, you're not going to provide a serpent, God. If we ask for bread, you're not going to provide a stone. God, you're going to give us our every need. And God, we're, th we're thankful that you're a God who sometimes doesn't answer our prayers just the way we want them answered. Because you know best. And so we trust you today, Father, that you know what's best for us. And we just lift all these concerns. There's other concerns, no doubt. I know of others in the congregation who, who have children that are going through cancer battles, God. I know of one couple right now that I'm thinking of, God. I know that there's all sorts of things going on in our lives. And, uh, Lord, you're there in the midst of everything. And we put our trust and we put our faith in you. And as the song we just sang said, God, help us to dive in deeper than we've ever been with you. God, I know that we've only scratched the surface of who you are. And so reveal more of yourself to us, we pray. 
Help us to get ourselves out of the way and let you flow through us, God. And once that happens, this world will be changed. Thank you for being here with us today, Lord. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is ministering in a special, special way. We love you and exalt your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things together. And Rushwood said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for praying with us this morning. You may notice our normal drummer was not here today. He's on vacation. And so Blake did a great job filling in on percussion for us. Give him a round of applause, if you will. Did a great job. And the worship team, of course, did a great job. Um, you may have noticed that first song that we opened with is actually one that our concert, Sanctus Real, did that a couple of months ago when we had them here as part of the Building 429 concert. And we had so, much good, so many good comments on that song that we decided we would work it into the mix. And then, of course, we did... How Great Is Our God? I'm sure a lot of you knew that song. I remember, I think this building was actually being built when that song was first released. So it's been around for a little while. And then maybe you figured out that last song is the one that we played for baptism on Easter. A great song. So they did, our worship team did a great job this morning leading us to worship and leading us into God's presence. And so we're just so thankful for them and, and the time and effort they put into their craft of, of leading us to God's presence. Uh, well, I wanted to thank you guys. Uh, last week, Pastor Jason had told you that unexpectedly our heating and air system went out at our house. And um, some folks are able to absorb things like that. I, I, I say this jokingly and not everybody laughs, but I said, you know, if you want financial stability, don't have cancer one month and then have a new baby the next month. Sometimes that hurts, that hurts your financial stability and your financial plans. And so that was our situation. And many of you know, my wife, I don't say that she doesn't work because that's how you get black eyes. My wife does work, but she doesn't work a full-time job where she is paid for that full-time job. You have to be real careful when you talk about stay-at-home moms. But she homeschools our kids. We made the decision several years ago that nobody would teach our children the way we believe, and no offense to any teachers or private schools or anything like that, public schools, but we just felt like we wanted to teach our children in a special way, and so we decided to homeschool them and that Julie would stay home and, and homeschool them and be a homemaker, and so that's not always the easiest thing to do, and that's not always, especially you got four kids and one main income, that can be tough, and so I do appreciate y'all took up a love offering last week, and uh, what Pastor Jason was trying to say to you is I didn't approach them about doing a love offering. Um, uh, he and Katrina in the office actually came to me and said, would you let us take up an, a love offering for you? And uh, I said, yes, I will. I always try to be real careful because I know there's a lot of critique or criticism of churches that pastors are in it for the money and they're just trying to get rich. And I promise you that is not what I'm doing. If I was trying to get rich, I wouldn't be a pastor or I would pastor in a completely different way and preach in a completely different way than I do if that was my goal. Um, but I just, it, it's such a blessing. Thank you so much for the love offering that you guys took up for us. It's helped us so much, and uh, we didn't know exactly what we were going to be able to do, and you guys helped us out. So can you give yourselves a round of applause for supporting our family? It um, was a great, a great blessing to us, and, and we're so, so thankful for that. Well, this morning I want to, really begin with a little bit of humor. 
I don't always do this, but once in a while I have to remember, C.S. Lewis said, if you're going to make somebody cry by the end of your sermon or talk, you need to make them laugh at first. And I don't always take that advice. And I'm not sure my goal today is to make you cry by the end of this sermon. That was last week I was trying to make you cry. This week, this week is a little bit different. But anyway, I want to start out with some humor today. Talking about money issues. There was a man and his wife, and they got into a little bit of a budget crunch. They had spent a little more than they should have. And so the man went to his wife, and her thing was closed. Any of you guys have a wife? Don't look at her. Anybody, any of you guys have a wife like that that likes shopping, especially shopping for clothes or maybe it's shoes or whatever? John Kearns is raising his hand. He, he's a dead man, but it's okay. It's okay. She's not in here right now. Maybe she won't watch this video. She's working with the kids. Um, so they got in a little bit of a budget crunch. His wife absolutely loved to shop for clothes, and he went to his wife, and he said, Look, honey, I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to be able to buy any clothes for a while. We're going to have to slow that down. We're going to have to hold back. We're not really trying to spend right now anything more than the necessities, so no more going out and buying clothes. And she told him, Okay, that's fine. But then she went out to the store. And when she got to the store, she found a dress that just was everything she was looking for. She tried on the dress. She knew what her husband had said, but she just had to have the dress. And so she bought the dress, and she slipped it home where, and got it there while he wasn't there, and she hung it up in the closet behind some older clothes, hoping he wouldn't see it, and thought, thought that everything was okay. But then one day he goes in the closet looking for something, and he sees there's a dress hanging there with a tag still on it. And he discovers that his wife has done what he asked her not to do and had, in fact, gone out and bought a new dress. So he takes the dress to her and he says, Honey, will you tell me what this is? And she kind of looks down at the floor and she says, Yeah, it's a, new, it's a new dress. But she said, I just had to have it. When I tried it on, it looked so good on me. I just, I know what you said about we don't need to be buying it, but I just had to have I hadn't bought another one since, but I just had to have that one. And he's a little mad, as husbands can sometimes get. And he said, she said, you know, Satan had just tempted me and I had to have this dress. And he said, well, you know, if Satan tempted you and you had to have this dress, why didn't you just look at Satan and say what the Bible says, get thee behind me, Satan? She said, I did, but he told me it looked even better from that side. <laughs> so, I'm glad y'all like that. That may be the last thing in this sermon y'all like, but I'm glad you at least like that, like that humor. So, husbands, I, I know, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And by the way, it doesn't know, don't you notice in every couple there's always a spender and a saver? But I'm not preaching on marriage this morning. But anyway, there's always a spender and there's always a saver in every, in every couple. Um, this morning we are going to be continuing our series, and the series is called How To. And I'm just telling you, hopefully some very practical things in this series that you need to know how to do if you're going to live a, a fulfilled and a rich Christian life. And so this morning, I want to talk to you on how to know God's will. How to know God's will. Big topic, important topic. Now, as I talk to you about this, it assumes that you want to know God's will. Because I think we have folks in, in our culture now who they just assume that their will and God's will always match up. Because they're probably on the throne of their own life and they kind of have too high of an esteem of themselves. And so they, they figure that their will and God's will will always match up. And it's incredible to me how much we can rationalize our will into God's will. 
how much we can know what God has said and want to do something else, and we find some way to rationalize that, hey, God's really okay with what I'm doing. And so hopefully you're not like that this morning. Hopefully you're here and you want to know God's will, his perfect will for your life. Theologians talk about God having two types of will. God has a perfect will for your life, and he has a permissive will for your life. The perfect will for your life is exactly what he has designed for your life to be like. That is when you're in God's perfect will. But he will permit you. I believe in free will. I believe that we have choice. I believe that we have a say in the matter. I don't believe it's just an illusion. I believe we actually have free will and we can make decisions for our own. And so God will allow you to go your own way. And when you go your own way, sometimes you get into his permissive will and he permits things that aren't his perfect will. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to override them. I'm not going to overrule them. Now, well, here's the great thing about God. He is so sovereign and he is so powerful that at the end of the day, it's still going to come around where his will is done. At the end of the day, it's still going to amount to God's will. But I hope you're here this morning and you want God's perfect will for your life. I hope you're here and you desire to go down exactly down the path that God has laid out for your life and planned for your life. I hope that's you. I'm making that assumption this morning that you want his perfect will. It's an important concept. We're coming to that time in the year where graduations are starting to happen. I think proms are mostly behind us now and, and our young folks are going into graduation. Some of them are graduating from high school. Some of them are graduating from college. Some of them who are a little bit younger are maybe graduating from elementary school or middle school and they're moving on to the next step in their education. But that's a time where you're trying to discern God's will. Our high school juniors and seniors, I've already been talking to some of them about their plans and what they want to do for college and they're trying to plan the right college to go to or are they even going to college. And by the way, let me say this. I'm going to break all the rules this morning, but your kid doesn't necessarily have to go to college. They need to follow God's will. They need to follow God's will for their life. Look, there are people I graduated college with, and there are people who never went to college. And if you're talking about from a financial standpoint, there are some people who never went to college who were far out-earning the people who went to college and got that underwater basket weaving degree that nobody can use and nobody wants to hire anybody for. Don't just automatically assume, and many of you, maybe God is calling your children to go to college, but don't automatically make that assumption. Pray that God would reveal his will for your child's life to them and to you as they move forward into the future. Don't automatically make those cultural assumptions. But anyway, they're trying to discern where to go to college or not to go to college. Some of them are, are graduating college and they're trying to discern what kind of career, where, where they want to apply, where they want to try to get a job. That sort of thing is going on. Some are trying to discern and decide who is the other person. Because, you know, God's your number one. But it always helps to have a good number two. So they're trying to, to discern another uh, a husband or wife that God would bring into their life and who that person is and should they date, should they marry, what they should do as far as that goes. You've got married couples who are, are like I've already talked about, trying to discern should they have a two-income fam two family or a one-income family how to raise their kids, what they're going to do as far as education. All of this requires knowing the will of God. And it goes all the way up to the ends of our lives. Our seasoned citizens are trying to discern when they should retire, should they retire, if they retire, what they're going to do in retirement. And by the way, the baby boomers are the largest generation in U.S. history. 
As baby boomers have moved into retirement, I hope that they're just not taking trips and just collecting seashells and doing things like that. I hope that they're still serving God right up to the end. It's a big, powerful, wealthy, blessed generation that can continue to make a difference right on up to the end if they continue to seek God. But in every season as Christians, we should want our will to line up with God's will. And so the question this morning before us is how do we know God's will? How do we know what God wants us to do in our lives? There is more than one way to discern God's will. Uh, last week we talked about Susanna Wesley. Do you remember that at the end of the service? We talked about this lady who was so passionate about her children, had 19 kids and nine of them died. Only 10 of them were left, but she prayed over them, spent two hours every day on her knees interceding for her children, spent one hour every week talking to her kids about spiritual things one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, this was a lady who was devoted to her family, and because of that, two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley, became probably the greatest evangelist in John uh, since the Apostle Paul. Touched the entire world with the message of Jesus Christ. And so we talked a little bit about the Wesley family last week, and this morning I, I thought I'd just continue that theme a little bit. John Wesley had seven ways, seven ways that he believed you can discern God's will. Now there are probably more than that. And this is not an exhaustive list, and this, is not, this list is not necessarily a biblical list and that the Bible lists these out altogether. But a lot of times it's good to learn from the wisdom of people who have gone before us. Men and women who were devoted. I, I think sometimes it, it's almost arrogant that we think it's just us and the Bible and God and we never have to have anybody else's input as if we can discern everything we need, just us, the Bible and God, and we never refer to the Christian community or we never refer to the tra traditions that have gone on before us. It's almost like there's an old country song, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. That's not a great Christian attitude. God has people around us to lead us and guide us, authorities in our lives. So anyway, today we're looking at Charles Wesley's idea, John Wesley's idea of seven places where we can discover God's will for our lives. I think this is a very good list. I think it's a very interesting list. Now look, this is the kind of sermon you could get bored and you could tune out and you could start thinking about where you're going to eat for lunch and what you're going to do at work tomorrow. Don't do that, okay? Let's, let's get a hold of this because there's good stuff here to help you discern the will of God in your lives. So you ready? Let's dive in. Seven places where we can discover God's will for our lives. Number one, the Bible. God's Word. Duh, right? I mean, that's not very profound. I mean, you're in a church, you kind of expected, I hope, that that would be part of the list, that God's holy word would be one place we can discover the will of God in our life. But the Bible is literally the truth in black and white. It is literally trustworthy. It is, it is the inerrant word of God. In other words, we believe that it was transmitted to us without error, that it's true from beginning to end. You say, Brent, that's a really old-fashioned belief. People don't believe that anymore. I just think those people are wrong. Believe God's Word is God's Word from beginning to end. It's trustworthy. It's a guide for our life. It helps us to discern God's will. If you don't know what God's will is for your life, pick up your Bible and open it and begin to read. It's amazing what will emerge. It's amazing how you'll hear Him speak through His Word. And there are other ways that God will help us to discern his will for our life. But those other ways will never, listen to me, never 
listen to me again, never contradict God's Word, His Holy Scriptures. If you say you heard from the, from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit said something different than the Bible, you misheard. Because the Spirit breathed the Word of God. The Spirit, all, all Scripture is God breathed. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict the Word of God. We have a lot of people now who are wanting to throw out parts of the Bible. Talk to you guys about this before. We got people who say, you know, only the words of Jesus should count. We should throw out the Apostle Paul and all of his writings. But the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Last time I checked, Jesus is God. So that means that every word that's in Holy Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every word that's there is really the words of Jesus Christ. Some of you have red-letter edition Bibles, and that's fine. If you have one of those that has the words of Jesus in red, but really the whole thing could be in red because it's God's Word through His Son, through the Holy Spirit to us. It's all God-breathed. I think it's sad that Christian people will turn to a horoscope before they will turn to God's Word to find out God's will and find out what's going on in the future. I'm not sure if that's as prevalent as it used to be, but it used to be you'd have people all the time. They had to read their daily horoscope in the paper. I'm sure now there's some sort of online equivalent that you can get. They'll turn to that sort of thing. I've heard people give me wisdom from country songs rather than the Bible to help them discern... Now, look, I don't know if y'all listen to country music, but it don't ever end up very good. You lose your house, you lose your trailer, you lose your wife, you lose your dog. You know, everything's lost. Your tractor ends up in the pond. I mean, bad stuff, right? I don't know if I'm going to take wisdom from there. And they take wisdom from their friends. They'll have friends that are just the cruddiest buddies you could ever have in the world. Not good people to hang around, but they'll listen to them before they'll listen to God's Word. They'll turn to just about anything, movies, music, whatever, before they turn to God's Word. And that's why we're in such a mess in churches today. By the way, a lot of times the reason we don't live up to God's Word is because we don't know what it really says. And I try my best to rightly divide God's Word. But if the only thing that you know about the Bible is what I'm teaching you, how do you know if I'm right or if I'm wrong? Go and read it for yourself. Go and study it for yourself. See what it actually says. Quit taking somebody else's word for it. I have people tell me all the time, you know, like, like it says in the Bible, and then they'll give me some quote that's not even in the Bible. Like, God helps them that help themselves. It doesn't say that anywhere. I've had some people say, well, you know, like the Bible says, this too shall pass. That's not in the Bible. Go read the Bible and find out what it actually says for yourself. Know it. You're a Christian. It's your responsibility and it's your duty. Go into God's Word. Know what it says. I don't say you have to be a Bible scholar, but you definitely should know what it says. Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Longest chapter. It's actually a Hebrew acrostic. But Psalm 119 is about the veracity, the power of God's Word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's Word shows us where to go. It illuminates our way. No, no wonder so many times we're stumbling in the dark. We haven't gone to the light source. I, I go, my mom and dad, some of you know, live right up the hill from where we live. We build on the backside of their land. And sometimes at night, I will have to walk up to their house through the little path that's there through the woods. In the wintertime, I'll go up there without a flashlight. I can see well enough I know the way. But when it gets spring, when it gets summer, when it gets fall, I have a flashlight. Why? 
copper-headed water rattlers, right? I mean, they're out. They're everywhere. You're going, or if you don't do it, you step on a stick and it moves and you jump 15 feet and you're too big to jump 15 feet, that sort of thing. I have to have a light for my path so I don't step on the wrong thing, go to the wrong direction. Same thing with life. You need God's Word as a light for your path. Please get into God's Word. Please get into God's Word. Please read the Bible more than just the screens on Sunday morning. If that's the only Bible you get all week, it's not enough. Get into God's Word so it can be a light, a lamp to your feet and a light for your path. That's number one. Number two, way to discern God's Word is prayer. Duh, again, right? And you knew I was going to go there. But it's so, I mean, here's the amazing thing about Christianity. We believe that we have a God who will speak to us. He listens to us and he will speak to us. He communicates to us through his Holy Spirit. I, I had a, a post on Facebook yesterday about times people have experienced God because I'm convinced one of the things we're lacking in the church today is a real experience of God. But people were sharing with me how they've heard from God and how they experienced Him. It was great to see all the different ways that people have experienced and heard from God. I mean, there have been times in my life, I'm not sure I can ever tell you that I heard God's voice out loud like a person talking to me, but there are times when I've heard Him speak to me so clearly, there might as well have been somebody there talking to me. In fact, it was probably louder than some people. I, I'm sure I heard that voice better than I hear some people's voice. My wife would say, amen, you don't always listen so good. I've heard him speak. If you ask him, if you talk to him, he'll answer back. He'll speak back to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Never stop praying. Always be in an attitude of prayer. Don't put prayer as your last resort. As you go through your day, be willing and ready to talk to God all day long. Sometimes I walk around, my family thinks I'm crazy. I walk around, I'm talking seemingly to myself, but really a lot of times it's prayer. God, what do I need to do about that? Lord, you need to tell me. I, I, I don't, well, how am I going to handle this? You know, and I just walk around and I talk to him constantly. And all of a sudden, the revelation will come. What I need to know, well, all of a sudden it'll come into my heart, it'll come into my mind. I'll know what I need to do because I'm seeking Him and I'm seeking His favor. I'm seeking His way. As I look back over my life, this year I turned 40 in November. I'm looking forward to 40, by the way. I feel like when I, get, when I hit 40, it's like I've kind of crossed that threshold and I don't even have to try to be cool anymore. I mean, I'm looking so forward to that. I already, uh, Julia, who was, you know, our, our, our worship director and our youth director, she was... She was asking me about this phrase, um, and, and would it work in a sermon or not? And it's kind of like, you know, a little bit of young people talk. And so I told her, I said, well, from what I know, maybe we don't need to go that way. I don't know. And we talked about it, and I said, but look, I said, I turned 40 this year. And I said, after I hit 40, I ain't going to know about that stuff anymore. I ain't even going to concern myself. So you're going to have to stay up on all that. I'm not even going to have an opinion because I'm going to get hit 40, and I'm going to move on with things. But anyway, as I hit 40, I look back at my life and I realize the decisions that went right, the, the, the decisions that went, earthly speaking, as perfectly as they could have were the ones that I prayed about, the ones that I sought God's face, I sought His favor, I talked to Him, I listened to Him, I spent some time in prayer, I might have even fasted on these things and, and sought Him in that way. Those are the decisions that went right. 
Where old Brent messed up, those were the times I ran ahead. I got in too much of a hurry. I didn't spend time talking to God and seeking what he wanted me to do. And those are the times I messed up. Those are, and sometimes, some things you mess up and, hey, you're okay. But some things you mess up and it affects you for years and years and years. You've got to pray about things. You've got to pray about decisions. Take everything to the Lord. Never stop praying. Always be joyful, but never stop praying and never stop seeking his will. That was number two. Number three, I've got to keep moving because we've got seven of these. Number three, I already mentioned it, fasting. Fasting. Sometimes prayer is not enough just by itself. Sometimes you need a supercharged prayer life. And one way to supercharge your prayer life is to fast. Fasting is denying yourself of something. It's usually food or water. It's usually those sort of things. But it's denying yourself of something so that you can focus more on prayer and you can focus more on God. Sometimes prayer isn't enough. We talked a lot about fasting during the season of Lent. And so since we came through that pretty recently, I'm not going to spend a long time here. But, prayer, but fasting makes you focus on the spiritual rather than the physical. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21 says, talking about demonic spirits, evil spirits, it says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There were some things the disciples could not handle when Jesus sent them out unless they fasted and they prayed over it. There were some spiritual forces that were too strong for them. By the way, we tend to think that the physical reality, the things around us, the solid physical things around us are real and spiritual things are more ephemeral and, and not re reality. It's really not that way. In fact, it's the opposite. This physical world was created by the spiritual world, by God. And so God is the permanent thing. He's the solid thing. He's the real thing. This physical stuff is all passing away. Now, God's going to renew it, and he's going to use what's here, and he's going to remake it and rebuild it. But this stuff is passing away. It's the spiritual world that, in fact, is the reality, the ultimate reality. And a lot of times we get that backwards. And so when we fast, we start to forget about this world, and we start to remember that there is a spiritual world beyond our own physical self and our own physical needs. Fasting is a powerful way to discern the word of God, to discern the will of God. What if before we made any major decision, we fasted and prayed on it? If you have any decision, at least one day. I mean, you can fast. I love to eat. Food is good. I, I mean, if God didn't want me to eat food, he wouldn't have made it taste so good. That's the way I look at it. But, y'all, you can give up one day. You can give, if you've got a major decision to make, you can give up one day, and you can fast, and you can pray, and you can really seek God's face. You can do one day. If you really got something big, you can fast for two or three days. But anybody can give up one day to really try to hear from God and to get in the right spiritual attitude. John Wesley, by the way, made his pastors that served under him fast twice a week. They were skipping meals two times a week to really focus on God. And so I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm saying when you have a major decision, Fast and pray, and it will be amazing what God reveals to you. Number four, communion. This one seems a little bit odd. And I don't think we normally think about communion as, as a way to discern God's will. But John Wesley, in, the way, in his practice and the way he led things, they took communion all the time. Communion was a steady part of what they did. They took the Lord's Supper a lot more often than we do now. And I was trying to think this through because I didn't have a lot of notes on this and why he actually said that. 
why he said that communion was a way to discern God's will. And it kind of occurred to me. When you take communion, what are you supposed to focus on? Jesus and what he did for us. And so when you start to focus your mind and you start to focus your heart on the ultimate act of sacrifice that was ever made, the, the, the cross is the very fulcrum of human existence. It's the fulcrum of history. It's the center point. It's the tipping point of everything. When you begin to focus on that act, all of a sudden your mind gets right. Your perspective gets right. When you think about what Christ did for you, what he did for this sinful and dying world, what he did to restore it, when you think about that perfect human act that Jesus made, it brings perspective to everything else. When I feel like people have done me wrong and I feel like I've been kicked around and misused, I stop and I think about Jesus, who was in the glory of heaven, and he left because he loved us so much. He left to come down here and live in this old dirty, broken world and be spat upon and be cursed and mocked and beaten and scorned. And when I think about what he did versus what I'm going through, all of a sudden I realize what I'm going through is not that bad, is not that terrible. I need to get over myself and start thinking about what my Lord did for me. And by the way, in the midst of it all, he said what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so if he can do that, then I can do that as well. It, see how that's just one little way that it changes your perspective when you focus on what Jesus did for you. And so I get, as I thought it through, I thought that's probably why Wesley said communion was an integral part of hearing God's will and discerning God's will. Take, was to take the Lord's Supper and to focus on his suffering. Number five, fifth way to discern God's will. Christian conferencing. Conferencing, and you say, what in the world is that? By this, Wesley meant coming together with other Christians to get their prayers and to get their counsel, to meet with other people, to bear each other's burdens, to be united with part of the body of Christ. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Church, I can't tell you how many times in my life God has used the words and advice of other people to help give me direction, and he still does. There is wisdom in the body of Christ. There is wisdom in the church. There is wisdom in our brothers and sisters. And look, I have studied for years and years, and I put a lot of time into reading books and writing papers and going to classes and all that, and so... My, I have a doctor of ministry, so my official title is Dr. Brent Tysinger, whatever that's worth to you. But there are people who have, are simple little Christians who in a, way, in a way simple that did not even graduate high school and they can say something to me and teach me something. I've studied and I could say, oh, you know, I've got a doctor, I'm special, I, you know, and I could have that sort of attitude or I could be humble enough to say there's wisdom in the body of Christ. All the body of Christ, there's wisdom. I think that's the problem with some of our pastors and some of our professors and some of our church leaders is they think they're so special and they think they're so good that they won't listen to average, ordinary, quote-unquote, simple people who could teach them something if they would shut up and listen to them. There's wisdom within the body of Christ. I can't tell you how many times somebody has just said a word to me almost in passing and it's like God said, you need to listen to that. What they're saying is right. What they're saying is good. What they're saying is important. We need to be humble enough to have a multitude of counselors. One writer put it this way. He said, God's will for your life may be personal, but it is seldom private. God's will for your life may be personal, 
but it is seldom private. Everyone needs trusted counselors. Now, don't go and find a counselor just because they're your best friend or because you like. No, find somebody to talk to that you really trust that they go to God and they pray and they seek God's face and they would know his will and be able to discern his will. Everybody needs somebody they can go to. And by the way, every Christian really needs somebody to mentor them and every Christian needs somebody they are mentoring. We need somebody leading us, going ahead of us, and we need somebody coming along behind us. If every Christian had that, wow, how amazingly strong the church would get. So Christian conferencing is another way, getting with a multitude of counselors to discern God's will. Number six, public worship. Public worship. When we come together for worship, we should come in eager expectation of God speaking to us. Don't just come in here just to sing the words that are on the screen. Don't just come in here just to see if the band hits all their notes right and if the singers are in good voice that day. You know, don't come in here just to go through, please don't come in here to just to go through the motions, and that's so easy to do. I find myself doing that some Sunday mornings. I come in here and I, maybe I had a, a rough Saturday or I didn't get, sleep good the night before or whatever, and I come in here and I find myself just going through the motions. And sometimes God will check me and say, hey, Brent, you're supposed to be worshiping right now. You're just singing. You just got your eyes on the screen, but you're just going through the motions. You're supposed to be worshiping. And as I'm worshiping, I'm listening. What's God saying? What's he saying through the lyrics of the song? What's he saying through the, the united voice of the church? What is God saying in the midst of all this? Come in here and worship in eager expectation that God will say something to you. A song, a sermon, a prayer, a word of fellowship, all of these things can help guide our lives. I've told you before, and I, I may go back into this maybe even a couple of weeks from now in this series. When I answered the call into the ministry, one of the big parts of that was surrendering to outwardly worshiping God. I was shy. I was quiet. I was scared of what everybody would think about me if I really worshiped and praised Him. And, and I decided at this youth conference that I was just going to let go and I was going to praise God and I didn't care what anybody thought. It was just me and him in that moment of worship. And in that, he revealed something very special to my life and, and really set me on the path of ministry in that moment. God reveals himself oftentimes in worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues. Another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done, here's the key to this section of Scripture, everything that is done must strengthen all of you. That's why I tell you guys, it, it's great. I mean, right now we've got, we've got the video on, hopefully, in the back and in the front, and, and, and people can watch this live, and they can check out the sermon later. And that's great, and that's wonderful, and I'm glad that we have the technology to do that. That keeps people plugged in who otherwise might not be able to check out what's going on in the church and, and be touched by what's going on here. But it does not take the place of coming together. It does not take the place of assembling together with other believers, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's just something strong that happens there. There's something that God does in the midst of all of us to build us up, to encourage one another that frankly cannot happen as well online. You might get a sense of what God's Spirit is doing, but you won't get the full sense of what God's Spirit is doing unless you're together with the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. 
And I want to say this to you. In most cases, most cases, if you don't hear from God in public worship, the problem is with you and not with the public worship. I can, I can hear from God in all sorts of different settings. I grew up in what we would call a very traditional church setting. Choir, organ and piano, one song leader, beating out the time, I can't do it. But anyway, you know, that's how I grew up. That was what I was used to. And guess what? I heard from God in that setting. Now, I prefer and I feel like I hear from God more in more of a modern worship setting. But I've all sorts of different worship, all sorts of different churches. I can go in and I can join in with the body of Christ and I can hear from God. And if I'm only limited to one way of hearing from God, I don't know, I think that says something more about what's wrong with me than what's wrong with the worship most of the time. Occasionally there might be something going on spiritually or there might be something going on you know, that, that's error or whatever. But most of the time, at least 95% of the time, I would say if I don't hear from God when I'm worshiping Him, there's something wrong with me, my attitude, my spirit, my disposition, whatever. And so we need to always come in seeking to hear from him, seeking to hear a word from God. It's kind of like the couple I heard about one time. They got married and, and the husband owned a truck with a bench seat. And when they first got married, his wife sat right over beside of him. And he would keep his arm around her. And, you know, and, and as he drove, he would drive with his left hand and have one arm around her on that bench seat. Well, about 50 years into marriage, one day she's sitting way over here against the door. And she said, remember when we used to sit so close in this truck? And, we, you know, I'd sit right beside of you and you'd have your arm around me and only drive with one hand. You remember those? Those were good days. And he looked over and he said, well, I didn't move. A lot of times it's the same way with us and God. If you're not sensing him, if you're not hearing from him, he hasn't moved. He's still in the same place. And if public worship is glorifying him and honoring him and you're hearing nothing from it, the problem is probably that you've moved and not that he or other people have moved. Last one, number seven, works of mercy. Works of mercy. Another one that we might not think about. But when we serve the least of these, the Bible has a category called the least of these. These are people who are oppressed. These are people who are marginalized. These are people who are sometimes abused and hurt by the greater society, by the greater culture. When we serve the least of these, God speaks to us in ways that he does nowhere else. God, serves, God speaks to us when we're serving those that nobody else wants to serve. The other week I was privileged, uh, Congressman Mark Walker has a pastor's breakfast and he invites pastors from the region to come in and he shares with us, shares uh, some of the stuff that's going on in Washington, uh, some of the stuff that's on his heart. He was a former minister out of Greensboro and so he kind of knows pastors and, and what we're all about and he trusts pastors and so we, we greatly appreciate that he does that. But he introduced us in this meeting to a man named Cyril Prabhu. I'll spell that for you. C-Y-R-L is the first name. Last name is P-R-A-B-H-U. He is an Indian American. He's from India. He immigrated here. And uh, he, he actually had a burden that he received for the children of prisoners. He came here to America. He moved to California. He was actually part of an armed robbery. He wasn't committing the armed robbery. He was the victim of an armed robbery. Uh, in this place where he was. And so he hadn't been in America long, but that just kind of broke his heart 
to see these guys who, who were committing this robbery and knowing they were going to go to prison and knowing kind of all the fallout from all of that. And so he was really good with computers, and he started working for Bank of America. And as he was working for Bank of America, he began to move up the corporate ladder, and he became a, a data miner for them, a data processor for them. And he even shared that at one point they let him go. They, at one point they terminated his employment and found out things weren't working so great without him, so they hired him back to his old position, probably gave him a raise. I don't know how all that went. But anyway, he was sharing with us that he never had, he, that, that heart for these uh, prisoners never left, never left his heart. And he started to really have a heart for the children of those prisoners. And so he started a ministry called Proverbs 226. You can look it up. They have a Facebook page. They have a YouTube page. Proverbs 226. Proverbs 226 or 226 is the verse that we use on a lot of our children's stuff that says, uh, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. And so anyway, he started this ministry, and he described what they do in this ministry. They go in, and he, he found out that the children of those people, fathers who are in prison, these men, their daughters and their sons have an 80% chance of following their dad's footsteps and ending up in prison. I mean, that's a super high number, y'all. That's an incredibly high number. So 8 out of 10 uh, children of prisoners will end up in prison themselves. And he said, this is not right. It broke his heart to find out that this was a fact uh, in this nation. And so he wanted to do something about it. And so he started this prison ministry, and what they do is they go into the fathers, they speak to them, they offer them a presentation, and they say, we would like to bring your children in for a day. They get permission, of course, from the wardens, the, those that are over the prisons, and they say, we'd like to spend a day with you, and what we're going to do is bring your children in. And some of these prisoners have never met their children before. But they bring these children in, they give dad a T-shirt, Proverbs 2.26 t-shirt. They give the kids a matching t-shirt and they introduce these children to their fathers and they play games together. They have a father-daughter dance because they know the statistics are terrible for the daughters of those who are in prison. And so a lot of times these, these girls have never met dad before, but they have a father-daughter dance and they encourage dad to talk to the girl, talk, talk to his daughter and say, you're beautiful you're wonderful. Nobody can ever take that away from you. I love you. I'm proud of you. And speak into their lives. And they have their sons there, and the fathers speak into the lives of their sons and, and basically say, you know, don't make the same decisions I made. And the, to even participate in this, the prisoners have to agree to two things. They will apologize to their children for what got them in prison, and they will kneel down by the end of the day, and they will wash their children's feet. This guy shared with us that he said Muslims, Native American spiritists, Hindus, Buddhists, he said we're very Christian. He said we put right up front that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the way, Jesus is salvation. He said we don't hide it. He said we put that right up front. But he said all these people want so badly to spend a day with their children that they agree to it. We'll listen to whatever you want to tell us. We'll wash our children's feet. We'll apologize. And so... Anyway, as he shared with this, we got this room full of pastors. And I start to tear up as he's sharing it. He showed a video, and I mean, the video was just so heartbreaking. And he kind of narrated the video, everything that was happening there. And so I thought, man, I'm, I'm here over here crying. I'm going to look kind of crazy. And then I looked around, and every pastor in the room was crying. 
Everybody had tears flowing down their cheeks, you know. There was something in that act of mercy. Oh, and by the way, here's, here's a great, another great thing about this ministry. He said that by the year 2035, their goal is to have sent a million children of prisoners through college. They're going to pay for it. And he said that will happen because they found out how much that stems the tide of those children following in dad's footsteps. But anyway, just an amazing man, a businessman. Look, he's not a preacher. He didn't ever go to seminary. He's not a pastor. He's not a Bible scholar. He's just a Christian businessman from another country. God got a hold of his heart on a particular issue, and he said, I won't sit idle. I want to do something about it. And those act, the whole point of that is in those acts of mercy, we hear God speak. When we're loving the least of these, we hear God's word to us. We hear him reveal things in his will that he would not reveal any other way. Jesus said, oh, look, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he'll come to you, and he'll comfort you. In the midst of all this, in the, in the midst of loving others, in, in the midst of doing acts of mercy, in the midst of taking communion and studying the Bible and, and praying and fasting and all these things I taught about you this morning, the great thing about our God is he doesn't just send us off in life and say, okay, you're saved now, scurry on into life, and I hope you'll make it to the finish line. I'll see you there. That's not God's attitude toward us. God's attitude is, I'll be there with you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We can know God's will because God, if we will let him be, God is present in our lives every step of the way. He's speaking to us. He's ministering to us. He's working with us. He's correcting us. He's rebuking us. He's getting us back onto the right path. He's there with us. Isn't God good? He doesn't have to be that way, but he loves us enough. That's his way with us, that he's there and he's an ever-present help in our time of need. This morning, I don't know, there, we might have some folks who are struggling with God's will. Maybe you've lost a job and you're looking for a new start, starting over with a new career. Maybe, maybe you're, as young man I talked to this morning, maybe you're trying to decide where to go to college and you're, you're about to graduate. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you're trying to decide, hey, is this the one? Is this the person? Maybe you've got children that are driving you up the wall. And you're trying to figure out how in the world can I raise these children in a godly way where they'll turn out to be the right kind of people. I don't know. You could have a million different things going on in your life. Here's the great news. God cares about every one of them. God cares about what you're going through. Even if other people don't care and it seems like nothing to other people, God cares. And so our worship team is going to sing a song. It's a beautiful new song. We've never done this one here before. And I'm not, uh, usually we have you guys stand. I'm not going to have you stand right now. I mean, you do what you want to. You do as the Spirit leads. But I want you to just take the words of this song in. And I also want to invite you, if you need to pray about something, if you need to discern God's will, look, we're in the midst of corporate worship. We've been praising Him. We've been worshiping Him. We've been trying to tune into the Spirit. It would be a good time to come and try to hear from the Lord. So today I invite you, the front is open. If you want to come and sit on these front pews or if you want to come and kneel on these steps, whatever that needs to look like, you can kneel right where you are. You can stand right where you are, whatever God leads you to do. But if you're struggling this morning to discern God's will, I believe he wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to guide you. The song we're about to sing is entitled, There's Another in the Fire. When we go through the fires of life, God's still there with us. He's in the midst of all that. And so as you listen to this song, I would just ask that you be open to the leading 
of the Holy Spirit. God bless you guys as we seek Him together. Sweet. 
There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things I've seen and this reckoning. I know I will never be Stand with us, church. Father, I just pray right now. God, there may be things that are coming into our lives that we don't expect. Tell everybody about Jesus, not only with our mouth, but with our lives. We pray for our Youth Sunday that's coming up 